Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. What is my purpose? What's my will? What's God's will for my life? Personally, in my life, I'm looking forward to what they call match day. And this is where we have to figure out and choose a specialty. And I don't really have too much control, but they're going to send me somewhere in the United States, and that's where I'm going to practice the new specialty that I ended up choosing. But there's a lot behind that process. Which locations do I choose? Which program do I think about? So that's my resolution. That's my forward-looking. But everybody has some type of, what's my purpose in life? It's always a question that people ask. So I think what I wanted to address today is a question that I hear a lot in the hospital, a question I hear a lot in my family, and a question that I ask myself quite often, which is, what is God's will for me? What is his purpose for me? So today's goal, I have a few things I want to touch on, and I'll explain later as we get there. The first is, uh, if, if you're a practicing Christian, you're already doing God's will every day. And I just want to confirm to you guys that God is in control of everything, allows good things to happen all the time, allows bad things to happen. But the bottom line is that we have to trust in the Lord in all things that we do. And we've got to reframe our thinking to remember that we think about things very temporally, like really close in time. I'm looking only one year ahead. I spent all day yesterday planning my fourth year schedule. And that's how far I'm looking ahead. And even that schedule will change. But God's not looking at, you know, today only. He's looking at your entire lifespan in the context of his entire kingdom, which has been going on for millennia, right? This is almost six, 7,000 years of recorded history at least. So we've got to remember that God looks at things on a big scale. And then the final thing that I want to touch on is you always hear about like, oh, I'm waiting on the Lord for something to happen. But what I want to express to you guys is, hey, waiting on the Lord isn't just sitting in a corner in a dark room, twiddling your thumbs, waiting for something to happen. It's a daily active process. It actually involves a lot of stuff. So those are the topics I want to hit on, and we'll go through them piece by piece. So when I think about purpose, uh, will, I always imagine the big visible people. You know, you have Paul, the apostle. Man, that guy wrote a lot of the Bible, the New Testament. He had a dramatic experience where he had been blinded. He had a voice that was talking to him. Amazing things happened to him. That that doesn't happen to me. I haven't had an experience like that. I haven't been blinded. I haven't heard God literally speak to me. Peter had a vision. He had dreams where he was supposed to spread the gospel to the Gentiles because he was doing it to the Jews only at that time. I haven't had dreams like that. I don't get visions like that. So what's so different with me? Am I doing something wrong? I I read through the Old Testament, and like one of the greatest examples that I always tell people, they always ask me, oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to choose? What's next? I really wish sometimes that there was just writing on the wall that said, John, this is what you got to do. Step one, step two, step three. I wish that. But then I think about it, and I don't know if I started seeing writing on the wall if I started hearing voices, if I started getting blinded, that actually would really scare me. Like, I don't think I can handle that kind of an approach. Lucky for us, though, God knew us before we were even born. He was knitting us in our mother's womb, even before we were crying and born. 
So he knows the exact and best way to reach out to each one of us, including me. So that's comforting. But when I still think about it, the will that God has for me is a grandiose-sounding thing. Purpose is, is huge. It's, it's a dramatic expression. When I die, what's, what was my purpose in life? Did I accomplish, you know, a big thing? That's how I always frame it. And it seems like I don't know what my purpose is. But before you address, you know, what is God's will, we got to understand what does the word will even mean? You know, tonight, what are you going to do? I will have some ice cream. Like, that's uh, my desire. So will can be just a desire kind of uh, thing. For those who are lawyers or know, there's a living will, which is what that person's wishes or desires was for what happens after they pass away. Will can mean many things. Oftentimes, if you know me, uh, I love going to the Greek and seeing what is it that this word actually meant. In the Greek, when you look at the word will, it's thelema. It has a bunch of different meanings. Determination. Purpose, we heard that one. Decree. That sounds like a royal message to me. But it also means desire and pleasure. So keeping that in mind, uh, the text in the Bible that I want to focus on today is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 18. You, you don't have to turn. You can if you wish. I'll read it also. And Paul was writing to people of the Thessalonica. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all, not just others. So this is, uh, when I was reading through that, thinking of the common idea, you can't really help others if you're not helping yourself in the first place. But finally, in verse 16, rejoice always, comma, pray without ceasing, comma, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Kind of spells it out right there. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks is a really, these are nice statements, but it's hard to put into practice. Um, I'm doing neuro for this week and the next two weeks, and I'm in the stroke unit. And there was a patient that came in for an evaluation. Um, and I'm sure you guys have had experiences in life where people can be pretty unpleasant. This person was unpleasant, to say the least. Uh, cursing us, you know, strongly, using really offensive words, just like nitpicking at uh, the doctor lady who is next to me. I don't like your voice. Like, I mean, like, just things like, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't even know where you're coming from. My thought in that moment was not to rejoice. <laughs> it wasn't to give thanks for what's going on. But this verse says that we should give thanks in everything, always. And I went to the Greek to see if there's a, I'm, I'm missing something. It doesn't really mean all the time. It doesn't mean give thanks for everything. 
but it, the words literally do mean everything. And the word for giving thanks is a Eucharisto, which is the same as the Eucharist or communion. Give thanks. So you can't get around it that way. <clears throat> so with that in mind, we have the will of God spelled out for us. We know what will could mean, right? It doesn't have to mean purpose. It can mean desire. It can mean pleasure. So if we rephrase the word, what is God's will for us? What is God's desire for us? What does God take pleasure in when he sees it happen in us? All these words are exactly the same thing. So we don't have to always think of it as a grandiose thing. And even if you do, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is in uh, Matthew 11, 11, And it's talking about John the Baptist. And if you remember his story, it's a remarkable one. To the point that literally everybody in the, the city around him, they knew John the Baptist's story. This guy was like a prophet. Some thought he was like Elijah who came from, uh, from nowhere. The Jewish people were completely silent, had not heard from prophets for hundreds of years. So this was a big deal. And Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Sure, I believe it. He's, he's a really awesome figure. But then the next sentence, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Like, that's us. Even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. So imagine that. I mean, when I think of myself and like, what is the purpose of my grand decree? I imagine that's for a prince or a princess to hear. But we were adopted into a kingdom. So we are princes. We are princesses. We're greater, even the least of us, than John the Baptist, who's an amazing prophet. So God is, he loves us so much. I mean, we are pretty, we're a pretty big deal, even though we don't think of it that way. But moving forward, we have that troublesome phrase, to give thanks in everything. And I said to, let's rephrase it. What is it that God desires for us in our life? What is his pleasure? Let's look at a bunch of uh, other rapid-fire verses just to show you other instances of what God's will is for us in our life. And again, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read them out. But in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, pleases, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. A lot of the times we want things now. I know I'm a pretty impatient kid. Um, and I wonder why years can go by, decades, and I think there's just no answer from God on some of the questions I have for family members or for my own life. But he's patient, and I'm thinking very short-term. He's thinking long-term. So that's something I just got to trust him on. Luke 9.23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Daily. It's an active process. Okay. 1 Peter 2.15. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. This was a weird one. But the point behind it is your actions affect a lot of people around you that you may never know about. And I guarantee you never will know about. I can't tell you how many times 
in the hospital. It's a little twist because you would think Mayo Clinic is really good at allowing the, the medical staff to have more freedom than you would think. There was one uh, patient with a, a good Christian family from what it seemed. I mean, we only have a few days of experience with them. Uh, went through surgery. Uh, the colon had some cancer that was found. And, and the prognosis was not good. Give thanks in everything. Rejoice always. It's hard to see in that time. But as a student, I have a lot more free time than the other medical staff. So I could spend time with them, talk with them, just get to know them a little bit. And that's where I saw uh, a Bible verse on the whiteboard, where you usually see the date and some other information. But there was no uh, book and chapter. And the patient couldn't remember where it came from. So why not? It's a fun exercise. It looks like a psalm. It looks like a proverb. And I have a smartphone, so we could look it up really quick. Little things like this, you get to know the patient and see how your actions, though you're not realizing it, make an effect on people who are looking. So by doing good, you silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. There's no foolish people here, but my actions were making an effect, and I wasn't thinking about it. Uh, days later, the, the family of this patient came to me and, and expressed, like, wow, that's, you know, talking about that at all in a, in a hospital setting, they've never seen it, you know. Um, it may walk a fine line, but even praying with a patient in the room, they found to be dramatically powerful. Your actions all the time will have ripple effects. That's the will of God. He desires that your actions daily, your active process, are good because other people are watching. You're doing the will of God literally every day, no matter where you go, no matter what you do. Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he reiterates it. Always give thanks. I'll be honest, I don't go around singing psalms and hymns. Uh, that's, I don't know if that's my personality type, but giving thanks is something you could do internally. You can see situations and make the best of them. The final verse that I'm going to be jumping around to here is Hebrews 10.36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So from all of these passages, there's some common themes that we can kind of grab from them, right? I heard rejoice always quite a few times. I heard in everything give thanks. I heard that God is patient because he does not want anyone to be lost. He wants everybody to come to know him. And I heard that this patience is not really something that I understand as a slowness or patience. And I heard that there's an active daily walk. There are consequences and effects from everything you do at every moment. So, in everything give thanks. One topic that comes up invariably in the hospital 
is, is going to be, why God this? How can God allow that? And at some point, we're all going to face that in our life. In my own life, it was uh, when my dad got a certain type of cancer. Uh, the name, it's a type of lymphoma. And at my understanding at the time, I thought, well, that's, that's it. This is about 10 years ago. I was a college kid. So how does this play out into my future? What, what is God's will? What is God's purpose for me now? A book that I found a lot of comfort in was Job. And if you remember Job's story, uh, there's, there's different layers that he had, right? He had the layer of possessions, cattle, flocks, buildings, a lot of them, like pretty well-off guy. But those were taken from him. The next layer closest to him, closest to us, is family. Brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, mom, dad. That was taken from him. How much more do you go? The final layer is your own body. Even that was taken from him. He was crushed low. But my favorite verse for Job that he says is essentially, naked I came into this world, naked I'm going to go. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I love that verse. And I was thinking, you know what? If, if my dad is going to pass away, like that's, that's what I want to be the first thing that pops in my head. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There, there is thanks to be had even in this situation. I don't understand it. I can't explain it to you. I, I don't know that much. But there is an element of trusting in the Lord that he sees the bigger picture. And there's an element of going step by step. And I get it. I mean, it, it's not easy. There's just people that it's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to be merciful. There's people that, I mean, Minnesota nice is a thing, but I've seen a lot of Minnesota mean. Like, it's just, it's hard. I don't understand these things. But that's where the next bullet point comes in. God is in control, right? He allows these events to happen in our life, though we may not understand it at the time. There's the famous story, you know, we're the, the clay and he's the potter. Like, what right do we have to demand how to be formed? To demand how to be, oh, you're making a mistake here, God. I think it should be done this way. You're kind of doing a little mistake, I think, over here. This is not the best way for you to get my life on a path. But then I also hear that all things work together for good for those who love God. So I got to keep that in mind. And then all of this in the framework that God is looking at the end game. He's looking at when you come home to the kingdom that you've been adopted into. I don't understand why bad things happen. And again, like, we won't get happy answers to that. It's hard. There's a common theme whenever you see uh, reviews uh, for restaurants or reviews for anything customer service related where I wonder how good this place is, blah, blah, blah. Whenever you are upset, whenever something bad happens to you, you make it known like, oh boy, I'm going to tell the supervisor. I'm going to complain to so-and-so. So when you read reviews on some places, it's tons of negative reviews and nobody's happy about it. But all the times you were happy with customer service, and me too, I didn't talk to the supervisor. Sometimes every now and then there's a really huge example of like, wow, this person went above and beyond, I'm going to give a good report. But a lot of times things go great and we never give a good report. We never say, hey, you know, good job. You did exactly what I wanted and, and good stuff. It's always the negative that comes out. This happens in our life too. The big questions come out when huge negatives happen. Why did my brother get in a car accident? Why did my dad get cancer? But where was I for the 10 years in between? 
wow, thank you, God, for all these amazing blessings. I can't believe I'm here, you know, at Rochester. That's amazing. Thank you for all these wonderful blessings you gave me. And when I look at my own life, I've had a lot more that I have not reported. I just come to him whenever I'm upset. It doesn't make sense. This is unfair. It's almost like I feel this is your fault. What are you doing? Do you even love me? Like These are the questions that come up in the worst times, but there's so much that we ignore in the middle. And you always hear hindsight's twenty twenty. I recently, uh, my grandma, she was in the kitchen, and her, she has a walker. She thought the walker was on her side. It was not. And she's uh, 92. She's dependent on the walker. Reached for it, nothing there. She fell over. So she fractured her uh, thigh bone. Pretty big deal. Went to the hospital. We're from L.A., so lots of community hospitals around there. It's not, it's not Mayo Clinic, I'll tell you that. At the community hospital, the uh, orthopedic surgeon was like, well, uh, and correctly so, we got to do some surgery and just put the bone back together, put some metal in there. She'll be fine. My family, when they heard, I wasn't there, I was here, when they heard that, oh, one of the risks of surgery is clot, uh, they said, oh, absolutely not. No, 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 we don't want any of that. Because they were afraid, because they knew she had a stroke before. They knew that clots were something that, you know, were scary. They didn't want to go with the surgery, which is bizarre from my point of view, because, I mean, that's literally what you do. Broken bone, you go to surgery. Like, what would you do otherwise? So they opted for a cast, which is something you never do, and it's a terrible solution in a broken bone in an elderly person. So here I am, uh, you know, with some... I know, I read a few books, and I'm just really confused at what my family did, and I'm like, what, what is going on, Lord? How can you allow this to happen? Are you kidding me? Like, and I'm in this position. My brother's even in, uh, in school also. Like, you have two people who know some stuff about medicine, and we failed with my own family? Like, what is going on? Two weeks go by. She's in so much pain, goes back to the hospital, a different one this time, um, and they reevaluate it. The cast didn't even cover the broken part of the bone. Like, how negligent is that? Like, Lord, what's going on? Really upsetting. But a different orthopedic surgeon comes in and says, hey, you know what, Like, we'll make this right. Um, this guy, pretty good credentials, good track record. I looked at his reviews. And she gets the bone fixed. Now, looking back at this entire experience, it seems super negative. It seems like it's just medically negligent. What happened? But I wonder, like, if, if this guy did a cast incorrectly, would he have done the surgery incorrectly? I don't know. I mean, perhaps I know that God saw the whole situation. We were going through it step by step. But what I realized in the end was that she got superior care, a lot better comfort in the long term with this weird, crazy route that she took with her broken bone. And looking back at it, that's actually the better way to have gone, to get the better care even though she did have pain in the interim. All right, so God saw that from the beginning. I was just complaining throughout the entire period, wondering what is going on. He sees the big picture that we don't, and that's where we say the hindsight twenty twenty. Sometimes we will only understand much, much later. Sometimes we may never even understand it. But we can always be thankful that he is in control, despite my lack of understanding.
And it's important. Like one thing I always hear with pain, it's a reminder. Um, there's a disease. Well, you know, we all heard of leprosy in the Bible. Um, there's some guy who first described it, and they call it Hansen's disease. I have no idea why. But leprosy, there's two types, and the Bible never really distinguishes the two. But there's one, and it's kind of like a creeping loss of feeling. Your nerves kind of go away from your fingers and toes, pretty much the farthest parts of your body, and you just creep slowly and slowly up to the, uh, as you get to your core. Same with, like, your nose and ears, like things that are farther away from the core. You lose your nerves. You lose pain sensation. Some people would say, oh, man, that's good. I don't want to feel pain. But when you look at what happens in some of these people, because they don't have pain as a corrective measure, if you stub your toe, if you put your hand on the stove, like, oh, my gosh, ouch, that was painful, you move it away, and that's good. The body just told you, hey, you can't keep doing this. you gotta got to change it. People with leprosy with that type do not have that pain trigger. They'll be opening a door, not feeling the key resisting in the doorknob and completely break their fingers just trying to open the door because they have no pain. Pain, we always see as a negative thing, but it is corrective as well. It helps us go the right path. Another example that I found really interesting is that when you think of trees, um, trees and bones to me have like a similar aspect. There was a bunch of scientists who were like, oh, we're going to go to Mars. We got to prepare for the biodomes and you know, how our plants going to grow and how our trees going to grow. So they built a dome here in the U.S. somewhere, planted a bunch of trees, tried to make a fake little ecosystem. And the trees were growing rapidly. I mean, they were going three times as fast, way faster than normal. And they were like, oh, wow, like, how amazing are we? Like, we're doing even better than nature can do. But these trees grew so quickly, they couldn't even support themselves and fell over. They were just constantly collapsing. What's going wrong? And they figured out that the dome that they built blocked wind. Wind isn't painful, but it does cause stress on the trees. And the trees realize, oh, you know, I can't, I can't handle this. I've got to build bark that's stronger in this area. I've got to grow stronger in this area. Our bones are the same thing. Your bones are strongest at the points where there's stress, where there's kind of punishment to it, where you walk a lot. Your hands get calloused, where your skin gets stressed, where you use them a lot. That's totally normal. That's how it should be. Our lives, if they were pain-free, if we had no troubles, I don't know what path we'd be on. We wouldn't be able to support ourselves socially, spiritually. Stresses are corrective. They're helpful. I don't like them all the time, but there is a purpose for them. We can look to King David. That guy had, you know, the heart after, you know, his heart was after God's own heart, right? He was an amazing example. But the guy did some terrible things, right? He had his firstborn son die. He had another son attacking his kingdom and, and messing with his palace, like terrible things. King David in Psalm 1971 said that it was good for me to be afflicted because it drew me to your decrees. Decrees was one of those words for will in the Greek. It drew me towards your will, towards your purpose, towards your desire, your pleasure. He saw that it was good for him to be afflicted. And then sometimes I think it's just, it's wrong then of me to complain. But in truth, God understands. You can complain. Uh, but in truth, naked you came to this world and naked you will go. There's a joke I remember hearing of uh, 
this is a while ago, but we all have Wi-Fi on our phones and we can go on the plane and have, you know, videos downloaded. But before all that, when Wi-Fi was first being introduced on airplanes, <clears throat> uh, there's the joke of the, there's people on the plane and they're flying to, you know, whatever city. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a new technology on the plane. Uh, you will have Wi-Fi available to you for the duration of the flight. You know, please enjoy. That's amazing. That's really awesome. So get on your phone, start going to Wi-Fi. How cool, on Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Five minutes later, Wi-Fi out. You know, there's a problem. And the guy says, are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. This is terrible. Like, why could you even put me in this situation? It's just like, you're flying in a chair at 400 miles an hour in the sky, and you were just told of a new technology that was never available to you before, and you had it taken away, and this is what you're upset over. On the grand scheme, naked we came into this world. Naked we're going to go. Any fancy Wi-Fi technology, blessings, and all good things, you know, God gives to us. But, I mean, in the end, they're not going to be there. Is it fair to me to complain for something that, though I think is long, in God's time span, really is just a plant growing in one day as he showed uh, Jonah the whale, or Jonah, um, who was in the whale, So, so we're talking about God being in control. He knows our entire lives, and we've got to trust him step by step. Because a lot of times I'd, I'd really like to know, hey, what's going to be, and they ask you this, right? What, where do you see yourself in 10 years, 15 years? What are you going to be doing then? What's your life going to look like? To me, it's a silly question. I wish God would tell me exactly what would happen. I wish there were step-by-step instructions. I, I can follow instructions really well. Like, I can do that. But often what God will do is lead you step by step. Lead me step by step. And I wonder, like, what if he did tell Paul his life story? We think he's a majestic, you know, he was being groomed from birth. He was born in the city of Tarsus, a Roman city. So he was a Roman by birth. That's a big deal in Roman times. He was in an area where there were really prominent Jewish scholars. He learned from the best, the best teachers at the time. Fast forward 40 years, 50 years at his life, he was able to pull the Roman card. He pulled, like, man, I'm super knowledgeable about, you know, the Jewish ways and things. Like, God led him from the beginning to have life experiences, painful ones, to the very end. Do you think if he told him, oh, by the way, you're going to get beaten up in a few different cities, you're going to have a few shipwrecks, um, you know, this, that, this, and the other. Uh, be on your merry way. For my own life, I'm 32 and third year in school. But 10 years ago, I did, I did not see this. So what would it have been like if God told me 10 years ago my plan? All right, John, you're going to get into college. University of California, Irvine, good job. Um, you're going to get in an argument with your dad. This will lead you to take it way more seriously than you should have. You're going to kind of work jobs while you're in college, multiple jobs. During your third year, your dad's going to get cancer. You're not going to take this well. You're going to get really depressed. Your grades are going to suffer like no other. You're thinking he's going to die. You're going to have to drop out of school. You're going to go to the East Coast, train for gas station stuff, work in a gas station for a while because that's what the family business is. But it's all right. You'll go back to school. Your bro will get in a car accident. You'll eventually like what ambulance work looks like. 
you'll do that for five years because you're content where you are. But you'll still be sad. You'll realize, hey, maybe school is something I should try. Go back to a post-bac program in Northern California. You're going to hope that you're going to get in somewhere, and you're going to end up in Rochester, Minnesota. I, if he told me that, I would have, I mean, in the most respectful way possible, that sounds like a terrible plan. I can, I can rearrange this story a lot better than uh, what you gave me, Lord. I think there's a more direct way to get to wherever I want to go. I don't like your plan. You could do a little tweaks here and there. But honestly, if we look back, each one of those things was formative. Just like Paul being born in Tarsus. Who knows how is that going to play out, but it played out well. I had, I had exposure to the medical world for five years as an ambulance guy. I saw a lot of good and bad things happen. It framed my life. I have family that suffered from illness, as we all will eventually have. There are formative stresses. There are painful times. But it all led to the good outcome of being here. And like I said before, there's a bunch of ripple effects that we don't even know happened along the way. And we won't know until we're in the kingdom of God. That all led me here. That all led Paul to where he was. Peter, you, wherever you're working, whatever you're doing, you are being led daily to that location. Your stresses, your troubles are formative. God's in control, leading you step by step. I know you want to know more because I definitely want to know more. But that's what faith is. So, are you doing what these Bible verses said? Are you doing good? Are you leading by example? Are you helping those who are faint-hearted? Have you done any of those things? I see you guys doing it. I don't need to ask. You guys are a fantastic group of people. You guys are doing what God desires for you to do here on earth. What his pleasure is for us to do on earth. Therefore... You guys are already doing the will of God. If you're practicing Christians, you're doing it every day. We are doing it every day. We just got to remember to trust in the Lord, that he's going to do it step by step. And the final point that I want to come to here is uh, the whole idea of waiting on the Lord. Like I said before, it's not waiting in a corner, doing a bunch of nothing. And the example that I want to give with that is... um, kind of similar, but in, in the stroke unit, we have a patient, all of them have strokes, but there's complications that can happen on top of the strokes. And for one lady, she had a scan of the heart, and there was like, oh no, there might be infection in one of the valves, which can uh, possibly cause strokes. So maybe that's why she had the stroke. So we had to pursue this. What do you do? You take their blood, take it to the lab, and they grow it. And that's what they call the, you know, the cultures, the lab cultures. They look for any nasty bugs that grow in the blood. But it takes time, two, three days, before you get results, and they just keep you up to date. There's no growth up to date, no growth up to date, or maybe something grows. My point is this, though. The lab cultures, the blood was taken, and it was taken to the lab, so I'm going to wait, Some, you know, we're going to wait on the Lord, I'm going to wait on the labs. If I told you as a patient of this, you know, if you're the family of this patient, I'm going to wait on the labs. And I went to a corner office and just sat there for a day, for two days, for three days, doing a bunch of nothing. Oh, I'm waiting on the labs. That's kind of upsetting. That's not what you should be doing. Yeah, I'm waiting on the labs, but what happens in the in the in-between part? Every morning, every afternoon, whenever I had free time, I went to the patient. There's a lot more you can do, right? You talk with them. Do you feel any different? 
you have any fevers, any chills? You listen to their heart? Is there anything sounding different? You listen to their lungs? Does it sound like a little wet? Is there something wrong going on there? Are these, these are signs of what we're looking for? Yeah, I'm waiting on the labs, but there's stuff I'm doing in between. You look at the hands, you look at the feet, you look at the nails, and you can actually see signs of, oh, this could be what tips me off even before the labs come back. Waiting on the labs, going back to the room, researching more about the history. That's me waiting on the labs. But likewise, if you're waiting on the Lord, you shouldn't be in a corner room just waiting, twiddling your thumbs. There's activity that needs to be done. If I went to the patient to talk with her, to figure out more, should we not talk with the Lord? Should we not pray? Should we not learn more about the history through the Bible? Should we not see signs and, and do work in the in-between? That's what waiting on the Lord is. We have an example of it in parables. When he gave the parable of, uh, directly, not, not so much maybe, but of the, uh, the servants who were given money, they were waiting on their master to return, but they invested the money in the interim. There was the ten virgins, five who were you know, faithful and five who were not, waiting for the, the bridegroom to come. But they were active with the oil. They were doing something. They were constantly looking. Yes, you're waiting, but they were looking, looking, looking. That's what we should be like. Waiting on the Lord is not a, a, a very sedentary, quiet process. It's quite active. It's a daily process where you renew your mind daily and look forward. So the goal for today, which I said from the beginning was that if you're a practicing Christian, you are already daily completing God's will or what his pleasure is for us, what he desires for us to do. You guys are already doing it daily. So kind of reframe your thinking about that. Trust in the Lord always. Give thanks for everything. I know this is difficult. But again, like I said, step by step, these stresses have a purpose. Waiting on the Lord is an active process just like you don't want a doctor to be waiting on the labs doing a bunch of nothing. We should be actively reading, actively praying, actively rejoicing, actively giving thanks, actively helping others, the faint-hearted, those who are weak. That is what God's will is for us. That's what his purpose is for us. We're doing it every day. We should continue to keep doing it. And remember, like the key word for the Greek of giving thanks is the same thing as communion, which we're going to be doing pretty soon giving thanks, Eucharisto. We forget often, and that's why we're going to be doing this uh, communion soon, just to be a, a reminder. So I hope this gives us something to think about. I know it's constantly on my mind. I think what we got to do is just keep reminding ourselves to be thankful, to find ways to be thankful no matter what the situation is. It's a simple enough thing. It's a hard enough thing but it's a good way to start the new year just to keep it at the forefront of our mind. All right, let's close this off in prayer here. Lord, thank you so much for all the blessings you give us and then blessings that we don't often think about. All the good things in our life we know come from you up above. Thank you for each other here in church, the support that we have the people that we are looking towards who they don't even know that we're observing them. I pray that you help us remember that we should keep you at the front of our minds, 
give thanks for everything. Rejoice for everything, no matter the situation, because that is what you desire for us. And to help us remember that in every action we do, going to the gas station to put gas, getting groceries from the store, working on our job, people are watching us. And we are your ambassadors out to the world. And as ambassadors, we should represent you to the fullest. Thank you for giving us such a huge responsibility. Help us to complete that responsibility, to make you proud. Because in the end, if we do this daily, we want to hear those words, um, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray that uh, you bless the community to come and just uh, keep our minds pure, our hearts pure. And I pray that we do all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.